Well, good morning, Fayetteville. How are we? Can we stand together? Here's what I want you to do as you stand. I want you to just kind of look around, see who's around you, kind of get a feel for the people around you. If you don't know that person, give them the old uh, holy head, head nod. Just take a moment and look around. Isn't it a blessing to know to, that you're not alone in your spiritual walk with the Lord? There's other people who are trying to do it too. And that's one of the constant reminders of why we meet on Sundays, to realize that we're not alone in it. So just take a moment again and just look around the room. And this first song we're gonna sing this morning comes straight out of Numbers chapter six. And it's a prayer, and what I want us to do as we sing this song this morning, I want us to pray it over the people that you just looked around, the people that you just made eye contact with. For, for those of you parents who just dropped off your kids for the first time, maybe as we sing this this morning, you need to just raise your hand over there and just pray o over your child. If your child's in the room, maybe just grab their hand. Or if they can't walk, maybe just hold them and let's sing this song over them this morning. And so let's think about these words. And, and we're gonna sing a phrase, amen, or amen. And what that means is, so be it, so be it. And so as we sing that, we're gonna sing a blessing over each other, sing a blessing over our kids, and then we're gonna say, Lord, so be it. So let's sing this together.
can have a seat. Hey, I am so excited to be here this morning because you know what I'm feeling for maybe the first time in a long time is hope. Hope that things are beginning to change. I mean, practically we have kids in their own service now. Amen? Amen. There's something to be so excited about. We're starting to see things loosen. A vaccine has been created. And once you get to the point where a vaccine is created, then the role is, man, we need to get that out to as many people as possible all around the world, anybody who wants it, anybody who needs it. But you know, this is not the only pandemic that the world is facing. That we have a pandemic that's really been a part of the history of our world It's the pandemic of sin. And 2,000 years ago, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a cure was created. And so what is the role now? The role is, man, we gotta get that message out. We gotta get that good news out. We call that the gospel to all over the world. And sadly, there's areas of the world where that message has never penetrated a matter of fact, over 3 billion people live in an area of the world where they have little to no access to the gospel whatsoever. That means they're going to be born, they're going to grow up, they're going to get married, they're going to have kids, they're going to pass away without ever hearing the message of the gospel. So what is fellowship? What do we do about that? Well, we send people specifically into those areas. 
And it's crazy when you think about who would do that? Who would go? I mean, what they have to do is they have to be trained. They have to raise all their own support. They have to move their families into these areas, often very dangerous areas. They have to learn a language. Sometimes they have to learn two languages. Sometimes they have to establish a real business in order to have a presence there. All with the goal of getting this message, this cure of the gospel to people who've never heard before. So who would do something like that? I want to introduce you to a few. Please watch this video. Whitney Simons, and we're missionaries with Door International, and we focus on deaf Bible translation globally. I'm Jared Robinson, and this is my wife, Dina Robinson, and we're going to be... Hi, Fellowship. We're the goods. I'm Andrew. I'm Rebecca, and this is Lennon. We're global workers Hi. in Southeast Asia. I'm Martha, and this is my husband, Daniel. We work missionaries. We are Eric and Beth. This is our family. Hey, I'm Joe Burlingame. I just graduated from... My name is Austin Kuklinski. I'm originally from Kansas City, Missouri. And I graduated from... Hey, I'm Scott. I graduated from the University of Arkansas. I'm from Dallas. Hi, my name is Zach and I, along with my wife... I'm Abby and I'm 23 years old and I moved here to I'm Jack. I'm a senior at the University of Arkansas. Hi, my name's Daisy. I'm a senior at the U of A, majoring in I'm Audrey, and I graduated from the University of Arkansas in May. Hey, we're Bobby and Beth Stottle, and we are Global Workers Sent with Fellowship Bible Church. So the unreached is a place that there are no local churches. There are no local believers. These are people that don't know who Jesus is or don't know the truth about who Jesus is and what he has done for them. We want to focus on the unreached people groups because God says in Matthew 24, 14, we want to see all nations come to know the Lord. Here in the U.S., we have access to Bible, to church, to other believers. Um, and, you know, we realized 20 years ago, as we were growing in our faith, that there are places all around the world where Jesus is not yet known. Why we're motivated to reach the deaf is because there are 70 million deaf worldwide and only 2% know Jesus. There are places around the world where 
No one knows that God exists, and even if they had the slightest curiosity about Jesus in their heart, they don't have the opportunity to find out who He is. They don't know someone who knows someone, and they don't know of a church in the area that they could go to. And I think every time that I think about that, it breaks my heart. From there, I started reading God's Word, and I began to see that the overarching theme of the Bible is God's desire for all people to know Him, love Him, and worship Him. We see it in the Bible as our job to take the Gospel to people who haven't heard it for the praise and the glory of God. And the more I began to study the Scriptures, I just saw um, how much the nations was talked about. And the more I read it, my Bible just became like a coloring book of um, the nations and God's heart for all peoples. We have read in Revelation 7-9, that every tongue, tribe, and nation will be around the throne. And there are thousands of people groups that don't have access to the gospel, and that breaks our heart. I think we also realized that the gospel wasn't just for us in our, our own lives here. Um, it was to be reproduced. It was for the people that haven't yet heard and don't have access to it. And right now I'm just in season of prayerfully considering what that would look like for me to go and um, if that looks like going to the unreached or if that looks like mobilizing and sending um, people here. So my next step is going to receive 10 months of training um, over language acquisition, uh, cross-cultural church planning methods, and growth in what it really means to suffer for the name of Christ. There's only one completed sign language Bible translation in the world, and that is for American Sign Language. It was only completed two months ago. Uh, so only two months ago, there was no completed Bible translation for deaf people anywhere in the world. Um, so we just really want Columbia to be um, the second one. Our ultimate goal is to see a church planted among the unreached in Central Asia. We want to see a multiplying movement of churches planted among the unreached. To see churches planted. To see a church planted. Uh, my goal is to see a church planted among. Is to raise up laborers who will take the gospel further and further to the. We unreached. want to see a church planted among the unreached. The goal is to see a healthy church planted among the. Unreached. My passion is to see churches planted. Among my goal the is to see a church planted among the unreached. So our vision is to see God glorified and lives transformed through disciples who make disciples and churches who plant churches in the places where it has not yet happened. Hey, Fellowship, I'd love to introduce you to some of our global workers. Uh, these are people who are taking that on personally and saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to do something about it. Could you give them a round of applause? Hey, and we believe that this is not just uh, an activity that certain people are part of. We, we believe strongly that everybody who's a follower of Christ plays a responsibility in this. Whether it's going yourself, praying, caring, or even financially supporting. Uh, and we've kind of got a, uh, three different groups uh, represented here. We have this first group who are about to be sent out and be trained uh, in order to be prepared to go overseas. We have this mental section right here, uh, which are people who have been trained and they're about to be launched out uh, to go serve. And, and really what they're doing right now is, 
is getting financial support, and, and when they get that, uh, they want to be launched to go and take the gospel into places where it's not. And then finally, uh, we have people who are currently serving uh, on the field. And so can we pray for all these groups? And, and what I'd love you to do is just pick a certain person, pick a certain uh, group here, and just focus your prayers there. Dear God, we are just so excited to be a part of what you're doing around the world, dear Lord. And all of us have a personal responsibility to see the good news of the gospel get into places where it's not. And God, we pray for these uh, current global workers, dear God, who are out there with their families, striving and suffering for the good news. We pray for those who are about to be launched, dear God, that they will receive all the support that they need in order to get the gospel into these places where it's currently not. And God, we pray for those who are praying about going or who are about to be trained to go. That God, that they would just draw so close to you and, and learn about you so they can go into these areas to God and change lives. God, we pray that we'd be a church that is excited about sending our people to these places. God, we pray for their protection. We pray for all their needs. We pray for their families. We pray that they're able to learn the language. God, be a part of every aspect of their lives. Thank you that we're part of a church that can get involved in what you're doing. In your name we pray, amen. Our global workers, workers will go to the nations and they will find people who are worshiping other gods and they will find people who are worshiping idols. And that's because they were made to worship the one true God. And we are the same. Everyone in this room, we were made that way. It was written on our hearts to worship the one true God. And it comes so natural to us. It's come so natural to me to want to express devotion to whatever captures my attention and whatever I adore. And so I pray that our hearts and our attentions and our worship would go to the Lord of all lords today and that we would worship the King of all kings. So will you stand and worship with me? So oh. 
This morning, I'm gonna read a psalm over us. And I just want you to close your eyes and think about these words. Um, Just think about the reality of this truth. This is from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I've carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. And I say now, I'm late.
lift high your name this morning. God, thank you that you are the lover of our souls and the healer of our hearts. And thank you that we can run to you again and again, despite our brokenness, God, we can come back to you and find love and acceptance and healing. God, I pray for the word this morning. I pray that it will move in power, Lord. I pray that you will open up our hearts, God, to accept what you have for us this morning and teach us something about you, that we will be changed. We love you, God, and we worship you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Maybe seated. Seated church family. Thank you, team. And give them a thanks, please. Um, they're, part of our, they're part of our family of faith, and uh, we're uh, blessed with God's um, gifts here. And I'm so grateful to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Clark. If I don't know you, would love to meet you. I know we may have some new folks with us this morning as we now have our children joining us. And um, so, uh, like I said, my name's Clark, and I get the privilege of serving as uh, one of the pastors here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And um, if you're watching online, uh, welcome this morning as well. Um, we're thankful to have you as part of our church family. And uh, if you're new with us, uh, you found us uh, moving towards the end of a series in the sixth book of your, um, your Old Testament, uh, Joshua. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to chapters 13 and 14. Uh, Joshua is a narrative. It tells a story. Specifically here, it tells a story about a people finding their way into God's um, promised inheritance here this morning. And uh, um, as we get into that, I wanted to just say a special thanks. About, um, uh, about a month ago, uh, we lost my mother, and she passed away, and she's with Jesus now. And um, I haven't had a chance to see a lot of you, but many of you were praying for my family and um, I just wanted to just express my thanks for your care and concern. Uh, so many times as a pastor, you forget what it's like to be on the receiving end, right, Michael and Lee? And, and, and to be on that end of being pastored and cared for and loved, um, this, is our, this is our home church. And so that means a, a world to, to Pam and I and our family. And so um, thank you for being there and for praying for us um, during that time. You know, I'm fascinated um, by interesting documentaries, strange stories, facts related to all things, wealth, inheritance, possessions, money, things like that. And uh, I don't know about you, maybe that's just the covetous, greedy heart in me that comes out, but I love watching shows that tell some of those stories. And um, a while back, I came across an article entitled The 15 Strangest Inheritances. We're not gonna look at all those, but I wanted to note a few of those as we consider a much greater inheritance uh, this morning in our narrative. Dan Ketchum, he notes this about a dog who would inherit a million-dollar home and a six-figure trust fund from a wealthy accountant in New York City. Lucky dog, right? Um, or this one. Uh, there are two brothers in 2009. Uh, they were living in a cave in Hungary. They were estranged from their grandmother, who was from Germany. And upon her passing away, they would be, along with a sister, the only direct descendants to $5.52 billion. No doubt, they upgraded 
their cave situation to <laughs> quite, quite a sweet man cave, I'm sure. Or how about this janitor in Vermont? His name was Ron Reed, and he, they say he would tool around town in this secondhand Toyota, and he would chop firewood for folks. And uh, when he passed, he left $4.8 million to a local hospital and $1.2 million to a local library. Or how about this one? You talk about random. Uh, um, there's a young man who passed away early at the age of 42 in um, 2007 in Portugal. He had a 12-room apartment in Lisbon, a house, two motorcycles, a luxury car, and about 32000 in cash. And upon his passing, the executor of his will, his attorney, was left with the task of leaving that to 70 random names in the local phone book. How do you divide that? Well, if you're a father of daughters, you can appreciate this last one. Uh, this father left $10 million when he died in 2015 to his two youngest daughters, but it came with stipulations. They couldn't touch it until the age of 35. That's pretty common for inheritances. But consider these stipulations. They each had to attend an accredited university, marry well-positioned men who would legally swear not to touch the inheritance money. They must stay employed and not have children out of wedlock. And if 2020 came, and it has come and gone, they would get it, and they were still holding down a good job, they would get a yearly payout three times the amount of what they were currently earning. And that's how they would begin to inherit their inheritance. Well, this morning, we no doubt get to take a peek into a much greater inheritance, one that not only includes a faithful God keeping his promises, but the blessing of what that faithful God has for his people the children of Israel. And we see with any inheritance, as we've seen with some of these examples, uh, the thoughtfulness, uh, the generosity, the detail given to an inheritance well thought out, it magnifies and brings honor to the one who gives the inheritance. And we're gonna see that as well uh, this morning. Um, like I said, we're in Joshua 13 and 14, and we've skipped uh, chapters nine to 12 from where we left off last week. It's basically the story of the rest of the conquest that took about seven years. As they were to inherit their land, they were going to, um, they had a southern and a northern campaign where they would drive out the Canaanites, or better, well said, God would drive them out before them. So they had to uh, go through the conquest, but then at some point, they had to inherit or receive their inheritance. They had to possess their possession if you will. They were primarily concentrated in and around this area called Gilgal, and they hadn't moved into these cities or these, uh, this piece of property that God had granted them. And so there's an allocation that begins where the executor of the, the will or the trust or the inheritance, if you will, begins to delegate where their actual inheritance is going to be, where these pieces of property and what we see here, big picture, what we learn, and I think it's applicable for us as well today, is that wholehearted devotion is the only proper response to God's gracious inheritance. Wholehearted devotion is the only proper response to God's gracious inheritance. And we're going to look at it in just three simple ways. We're going to look at the inheritance that God granted the tribes. We're going to take a 
a, a quick peek at the inheritance that the Levites had access to, and then we're going to look at a special inheritance that a young old man named Caleb had access to. It's an amazing story, and we're going to pick it up in chapter 13, verse 1. We won't read the whole uh, two chapters, but we're going to drop in and take a special look into some of the highlights this morning. Now, Joshua was old and advanced in years, the narrator says, and the Lord said to him, as if he wanted to be reminded of this, you are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. You see, even though the conquest had taken place, they had not possessed, if you will, their possession. They had not um, assumed or received their full inheritance. 13.6, I myself, the faithful uh, covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God asserts, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Uh, only a lot to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. And the rest of chapter 13 gives incredible detail to these pieces of property, if you will. And what you see is the great care and the concern for God the Father to follow through on his promise with great attention and detail. The word inheritance here in chapters 13 to 21 is found over 50 times. You can see that word used. It's a very important word. It's a reminder that the Jews inherited their land. They didn't win the land as spoils of battle, even though God might provide for them through that. They were given the land. It wasn't purchased through a business transaction. The Lord was the sole owner of this property. And Warren Wearsby said, imagine having God for your landlord. And that's what they have to steward uh, this morning. Uh, just a reminder about an inheritance. Just a couple of simple facts. An inheritance is given, not earned. An inheritance is given, not earned, and therefore to assume the inheritance, you must receive it. There's some spiritual implications there. An inheritance is a responsibility that is cared for. A word we might use around here, it is steward, stewarded well or taken care of. And in this narrative and story, we have some details in Joshua 14, and we're gonna pick up the story again here in verse one, as he begins to describe these inheritances. Uh, these are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. And so Joshua brought Eleazar the, the priest to help them apportion these pieces of property, no doubt connected to the size of some of these different tribes. So there was a lot of thought and care put into these allotments. Verse two, their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. For the nine and one-half tribes, for Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan, but to the Levites, and we're gonna come around to them in a little bit, he gave no inheritance among them. Verse four, for the people of Judah, or Joseph, were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And no portion was given again to the Levites in the land, but only cities to dwell in with their pasture lands for their livestock and their substance. The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses, and they allotted the land. Um, this map will give you just a brief picture of what, and you can find this anywhere if you just type in um, the 12 tribes 
um, the 12 tribes allotment online. You can find maps like this. But it's just real easy to see some of the way God gave great care and attention to apportioning these pieces of properties to the different tribes. And if you're doing your math and you're reading into the details here, it can be a little tricky because the, the tribe of Levi, they don't get a piece of property. We're going to see what they get here in just a second. And so you've got 12 kind of patriarchal heads of these tribes. Minus Levi, you're down to 11. And then we hear, see here that Joseph is actually re, uh, represented by two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so that's where we get our 12 tribal allotments. And we can see God's great care and concern here as he's faithful to his promise. And so if you've ever struggled in your one-year Bible, which I'm not sure where some of you are at. Some of you are trapped in numbers right now, right? And uh, you're try- Or Leviticus, even better yet. And you're trying to figure out, how am I going to get through this in a year? And I call it the 15-month Bible, okay? Because I just, you know, it takes a little longer to read some of those passages. But what I just wanted to note, that to, to me, the detail that's given in some of those more difficult passages to read, which you'll find some here in Joshua, it's, it's a reflection of the faithfulness of God who's uh, communicating and dealing with man in a real time, in a real place, and he's taking great care and concern to make sure that they can walk in holiness when he, with him and experience the fullness of joy. When you read those details, it screams, faithful God, I care for you in the details of your life and in the details of this account of this inheritance. God cares for his people. So we have the tribal allotments. We also have the Levites' inheritance here. It's an interesting inheritance. In, uh, verse, in Joshua 13, 14, he says this, your inheritance are the offerings by fire that you give to the Lord, the God of Israel. He then says the Lord of God of Israel is their inheritance, 13, 33. And in 14, 4, he says, the only thing that you receive are these cities to live in, not actual land that you'll inherit like these other tribes, but I am gonna give you a place to live scattered across these tribal territories. And in those cities, you will have pasture lands to care for, for your livestock and their substance. And this is where I hit pause and I began to reflect more in a devotional. Not just, I stepped outside of kind of teacher mode and I was sort of thinking, what does this really mean? The Lord is their inheritance, their role as priests being their inheritance. And I thought, you know, even God in his great care and concern for his people and faithfulness to his promise, he scatters them across these 48 cities. And in doing so, he provides pasture land for them. It's his provision for them as they serve as intermediaries or priests in the Old Testament uh, between the people and God so they could be right with him through sacrifices that were made to him. And I thought, man, what great care and provision God has, not just for the Levites, but in their role, he provided through those pasture lands, even livestock or animals for sacrifices so that the people of the 12 tribes to, could remain in right relationship with God. To the last detail, God is a great provider here. Scattered, his, I think it also represents those 48 cities that they're scattered around in, represents his presence. 
in the nation of Israel. They're scattered through these tribes. He was with them in the garden after the fall, and if they made their way into the wilderness, he was with them uh, through the tabernacle. His presence was with them as sacrifices were made through the Ark of the Covenant. And now we see him through the priestly service, his presence not only with the Levites, but with the people as they're scattered through these pieces of property. And yet, we see as you continue to move through the narrative, we've got two more installments here in this teaching series uh, here in Joshua, but as you begin to move through that, you see this continual tendency for the people to hesitate or not fully grasp or possess their possession that God has given them. It's a trend that we see um, in Joshua. In 1563, it says the Jebusites, those inhabitants of Jerusalem, they lived in that area. The people of Judah could not drive out. Those are some of the pagan peoples or nations that they were supposed to drive out of those places. Joshua 17, 12, the people of Manasseh, it says, could not take possession of those cities, but the Canaanites persisted. And you can, you can hear just the frustration even in, in the old warrior Joshua's voice here in Joshua 18.3. He said to the people of Israel, how long will you put off going in to take possession of the land which the Lord, in this past tense, the God of your fathers has given you already? When are you going to occupy your inheritance? When are you going to claim what's rightfully yours because of the work of God on your behalf? Again, there's a bigger spiritual principle there. And it reminded me that back in Numbers 14, they had already cultivated this spirit. And it's something they battled um, throughout their time as they were trying to get ready to take this promised land. In Numbers 14, it says the people grumbled against Moses and Aaron when they come back with a, a, a bad report. And they walked in fear. They began to grumble. So much so that in Numbers 14, 4, there's a statement made that says, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Let's go back to our time as slaves in Egypt because we fear what's on the other side of the Jordan. And we don't trust you, God, or your spoken leader, Moses, to take care of us. Can we be like that sometimes? Going back to our old man, our old woman, those days before Christ where things maybe you look back and you go, man, it was kind of easier. Is it? And then the Lord said to Moses in Numbers 14, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them, those wonders, those works of God on their behalf to bring them through the Red Sea, to bring them eventually across the Jordan. But in contrast, I wanna end our time together this morning in the scriptures by highlighting an old young man named Caleb. And we see him here in our narrative, and it, the, the author seems to take special note of certain characteristics about um, this man. And I think he sets it up for a response from us on how we're to respond to God's gracious inheritance that he's given to us even in Christ. Numbers 14, 24, he says this, my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went. He's gonna get the land that he stepped on when he went 
to be a spy in Kadesh Barnea and brought back a good report. That land would be called Hebron, and his descendants shall possess it. Caleb, I've got a special allotment for you within this inheritance. If you have participated in Panorama or Panorama Plus, it's an easy way to remember Caleb and kind of the trajectory of his life is this idea of him being a slave in Egypt, him being a spy in Kadesh Barnea, him being a sufferer in the wilderness in spite of his positive outlook. He suffered for the lack of belief of those around him in the wilderness, and then he ends up being here specifically a soldier in conquest. It's an easy way, and no doubt among the people, I would add a, it's not on the screen, but he became a sage, if you will, among the people of his day, is someone who would hold on to the wisdom and the promises of God. Here are a few other things we learn about Caleb. We're gonna pick it up in Joshua 14, verse six here. Says the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said? Back some 40 years ago to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. Remember that piece of property that he said I could have? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to that area, to Kadesh Barnea, to spy out the land. I brought him word as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. They brought back a bad report. They walked in the fear of man because of the land of the giants. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, I'm holding you to this, Moses. Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you've wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive Notice some of the repetitions here. Just as he said. Just as he said. These 45 years since that time that the Lord spoke his word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. Now, Behold, now Caleb's 85 years old here in our scene in Joshua today. He says, I'm still as strong today as I was in that day, the day that Moses sent me. My strength is the way it was then it still is now for war and for coming and going. So give me this hill country. He sounds a lot different than some of the other tribes and their hesitation to possess their inheritance. Give me this hill country, which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard that on that day, the Anakim were there. Those were the giants, likely seven to nine feet tall with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. If you're a parent of a small child, you've no likely been in the situation where they've come back at you and they said, but you said. You made a promise. Caleb's holding God in a reverent, in a fearful way to his word. It's what makes Caleb different. This is part of what gives him a different spirit. He remembers the words of God and he believes in the promises of God. Numbers 14, we'll pick it up in seven. Caleb and Joshua, they said to the congregation of the people, this land, as we look at it, it's a good land. 
If the Lord delights in us, he's gonna bring us into it and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. He's got a different perspective. Only do not rebel against the Lord as he speaks to the people. Do not fear them. For they, these giants, these Canaanites, these Anakim, they are bread for us. Caleb sees the world different. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. As I was working through the text, I just jotted some notes down and I thought maybe this illustration or this chart or diagram might help you see the unique differences uh, between the Israelites and Caleb. Uh, The Israelites walked in half-heartedness even being accused of not believing the Lord. They walked in the fear of man, forgetting what he had done in the past, testing him in the wilderness, seeing opposition across the Jordan, grumbling, and then looking back and wanting to return to their old life. Caleb, just the opposite, a wholehearted follower of Yahweh, believed in God's promises. Six times he refers back to the very words of God. He walks in fear and reverence of God. He remembers God's good works in his life. Because he remembers those things, he's willing to trust him with his future. Instead of opposition, he sees opportunity. They are bread for us. God will be gracious. Instead of grumbling, he's grateful. Instead of looking back, he looks forward. Which side of this diagram best represents your spiritual life right now, Fellowship Fayetteville? Take a few seconds. Which one best represents your current spiritual life right now? I think Caleb gives us a picture of what it means to finish well and to believe the promises of God. And if you're a mama or daddy in here, this is the kind of Daughter, this is the kind of son you want to raise. We need a lot of little Caleb's running around Fellowship Fayetteville. Transform our city. Wholehearted devotion is the only proper, is the only proper response to God's gracious inheritance. And so as we sit here this morning, we've got an Old Testament narrative. We are not a theocracy who's been given promised land, if you will, tangible pieces of property. It's not our situation right now. So how do we take an old covenant story in a new covenant church and apply these principles? And just a simple Bible study um, tool that I picked up years ago is when I read the Old Testament, I first ask the question, what do I learn about who God is? What can we learn about God's character and his glory And then secondly, what do we learn about humankind and how we're to respond to him? The two really easy questions to ask in an Old Testament narrative. And we know for sure that Yahweh is faithful to keep his promises and thus worthy of our worship and worthy of his blessing in our lives. And so those of us who are struggling this morning, maybe we're walking in half-hearted devotion. Uh, We maybe have come to a point in our lives where we're subtly demanding our freedom and rights and our personal rights, and yet we've actually never surrendered them to Jesus. For some of us, God has our marriage, but not our money. For some of us, God has our money, but not our time. Um, For some of us, 
Maybe we've walked away from just blatant acts of disobedience, of profanity, or maybe drunkenness, of things that were part of our old identity. But we're still hanging on to things that are true, uh, that shouldn't be true of our new identity. The secret nature of greed, of lust, of covetousness, half-heartedness. We claim to love God, but his people we can't stand at times, right? It's half-heartedness, and so we never possess our possession. You see, in the new covenant, we've been granted an inheritance. And his name is Jesus, just like the Levites. They, their inheritance was a relationship with God. And in Christ, he experienced, we experienced conquest because he had victory over sin at the cross. We also experience the inheritance of a blessing. It's called the resurrection as he overcame the enemy of death to give us true life. In John 10, 10, we're reminded that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he's come to give us life and to give it to us abundantly, to give it to us full. In John 17, 3, he says that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In Matthew 22, we were reminded of the great commandment. We're to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, our soul, our mind, all of who we are, and out of that, we'll have a love for others. A couple of weeks ago, I reached out to a couple. Uh, I was gonna hesitate to um, say their name. If you're watching Neil and Carolyn Schmidt, I just said it, and many of you know them. I hesitate to mention their name because there's so many of you that are Caleb's in my life, but they've took hold of the possession. They took hold of their inheritance. And I asked them this, and they're more seasoned in their years than some of us. I said, why do you continue to pursue God's purposes at this, in your life, at this season in your life? This is what Carolyn said. First, the joy that service to God brings as we work with others to see God accomplish his purposes. The joy, not the grumbling, the joy. Second, fulfillment. God has given me particular gifts that I can use to encourage others and help them grow. She sees her, the role she plays, like a Levite, if you will. She's got a part to play in this. And then she says, purpose. God's given me additional years in my life, and I want my focus to be on serving God. And she uses this word, and I didn't prod her towards this specific answer, to serve God in gratitude for his goodness in my life. Her husband, Neil, said this. Carolyn and I made a lifestyle choice 58 years ago, early in our marriage. At my age, I walk in gratitude because I can look back and I can see all the ways that God has been faithful to me in the good and the bad times. How could I choose not to serve him in some capacity? And then he uses this word. It's a word we don't like sometimes as Christians. He says responsibility. He's taken his inheritance, and he's being a steward of it. He says this, God's allowed me to play a part in his kingdom. It's humbling, it's exhilarating, whether being a community group leader or serving coffee on a Sunday morning, I've got an opportunity to reflect the Lord's love to others. Fellowship Fabio, we've got modern day Caleb's in our midst. 
And as we consider the inheritance that we have in Christ this morning, through his cross and resurrection, let us take full hold of our possession, eternal life and abundant life. Let's walk in the promise and hang on to the goodness of God's faithfulness this morning. He's given us our life back. Well, Father, uh, we're so grateful to be back here in this room with these people on this Sunday, March the 7th, uh, my family of faith. Uh, God, would you embolden us um, to see the world as Caleb sees it, to walk in gratitude and to uh, look forward and not back, to see opportunity, to possess our inheritance. Um, thank you for the lesson in your word. God, I pray that we would hold on to the good promises that you've given us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. And the music and all is stripped away and I simply It's 
It's all about him, always has been, and always will be. Our lives are about him. And so this week, as a charge from us is to go live your life for him. If you need prayer this morning, to my left, to your right, the prayer room, we'd love to pray with you or celebrate maybe a way you've seen the Lord's faithfulness in your life this last week. Fellowship Faithful, we love you. Go in peace and live for him this week. God bless you. See you next week.